Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to another special edition China Geopolitics podcast. In this, the fourth week of the Russian invasion and war upon Ukraine. And a week and what you will soon hear is being forecast as a major turning point. A turning point for Europe's relationship with Russia, with the United States and most particularly with China. The leadership of the European Union as well as NATO are meeting this week and they'll be meeting with US President Joe Biden. You'll be hearing more about that in just a minute. Meanwhile, Beijing's Foreign Minister Wang Yi has been meeting with Africa's foreign ministers. He's flown to Pakistan for meetings. He's planning to visit Nepal. And speculation is rife that he will then fly to India. Alliances are being forged. Deals are being done. And as you heard on this podcast only a few weeks ago, geopolitics itself is being redefined for this century. My name is Jared Watt. I'm the specialist digital editor for the South China Morning Post here in Hong Kong. This week, I'm going to take you first to Brussels and then to Washington, D.C. for insights from my colleagues. But before we get started, we can't not mention the first major American TV appearance of China's ambassador to the U.S., Qin Gang. He appeared on the CBS Face the Nation program and was asked bluntly, why will Beijing not condemn Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine? In those circumstances, why can't you condemn this as an invasion? Mm-hmm. Well, let's don't be naive. Condemnation. It sounds naive to say that's not doesn't, invasion. It doesn't solve the problem. You know, I, I, I would be surprised if Russia will back down by condemnation. It is now 38 days since Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin announced that their relationship had no limits. Meanwhile, the people of Ukraine are witnessing firsthand the brutality and cruelty of the Russian military has no limits. But is this the week we find the limit for tolerance of Beijing's policy of plausible deniability and its calls for the respect of sovereign borders? Let's find out. Finbar Birmingham is our man in Brussels reporting from the very nexus of European politics and diplomacy. Fidbar, it's a very large week of meetings for the EU and NATO, of course, with one big story at the top of the agenda. Yeah, I mean, it's a really big week here in Brussels, as everything has been for the past month now. It's dominated by what's happening in Ukraine. The invasion's ongoing. Uh, Leaders are are still trying to calibrate more layers of response. We're speaking on Tuesday. Uh, Yesterday, we had a meeting of the EU's foreign and defence ministers here in Brussels, at which they discussed 
um, the potential of banning Russian oil, which would be huge in Europe. I don't think it's a flyer. I think that the Germans and the Hungarians are going to block that. Um, it, they also put the finishing touches to this document called the Strategic Compass, which is a blueprint for a European security plan. Um, don't call it a European army, but that's effectively what it is. Um, and within that, there are definite sort of um, pitches at, at, at how this might apply to, to China and align with the EU's independence. Pacific summit. But on Thursday, we're going to have Joe Biden here for an EU council meeting. He's going to be joining his EU counterparts, 27 leaders, plus the leaders of the institution, plus the Japanese prime minister. Uh, Boris Johnson's not invited, which is not really surprising if you remember his remarks over the weekend where he uh, compared Brexit to the to the situation in, in, in Ukraine. But it all amounts to a huge week of symmetry. Uh, what are we going to get from this? Well, I think at the core of what Biden would be trying to do is get the band back together to toughen the resolve against authoritarian powers, including China. And this comes on an auspicious week. Today is the 22nd of March, and it's exactly one year since we had those famous EU-China sanctions. They weren't just EU-China. It started out with uh, European Union sanctions on China, which China hit back really quickly with uh, very deep and uh, disproportionate, I would say, sanctions on a whole bunch of EU officials, parliamentarians, academics, researchers. Um, And I think you can very clearly track a decline in EU-China relations from that moment. Then, of course, we had the US, the UK and Canada join the sanctioning as well. But it does seem like it's um, somewhat, uh, you know, poetic that this that this anniversary falls on this week. Um, you know, there was a meeting of EU ambassadors last Friday here in Brussels, at which they discussed plans for the EU-China summit, not to be sort of throwing too many summits in there to confuse the listener, but this is certainly summit season. Next week will be the EU-China summit, which follows the European Council summit, which is followed by the NATO summit, 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 summit. But anyway, if you can keep up with all of that, um, the message that was delivered last Friday from um, some of the more dovish members of the European Union, the Germans, for instance, were insisting that we may not want to go as hard as the US on China, uh, but we do want China to realise that this is a defining moment in history. We're at a fork in the road, I think, and I think we will see further information on this later in the week. Um, But I think it's a moment in which, in Europe at least, they're trying to decide what side of history China is going to be on. The Europeans aren't as convinced as the Americans that the Chinese have been helping the Russians militarily. My latest understanding on this situation is that the Americans are yet to share the hard evidence that they claim to have with their European counterparts. Now, that's a very fluid situation. It could change very quickly, but multiple sources, both at government level, at the EU institutions, diplomats have told me they haven't yet seen it. That could change this week. And as one senior diplomat told me, if that changes, then any talk of China being an honest broker immediately evaporates and all of a sudden China becomes an accomplice. These are the terms in which this is being discussed. So I think this is a really pivotal week. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what comes out of the European Council and NATO summits on Thursday. Then on Friday, Biden is on his way to Poland. A bit of solidarity with the Eastern Front. You know, so there's going to be a lot of optics. Let's see how many fireworks accompany those optics. 
Finbar, I've seen Wang Yi, uh, China's foreign minister, really earning his keep uh, in the past week or two. He's just meeting after meeting with foreign minister after foreign minister. What can you tell us about China's very deep need to maintain its economic and diplomatic relations with the EU while walking this tightrope of not condemning Russia but saying we want a peaceful resolution while saying we support sovereign nations while wanting a deep economic relationship with Europe? Yeah, I think it's, um, honestly, the longer it goes on, I think it's it's wearing a bit thin here in Europe. I think people are pointing more at the um, the deeds rather than the words, you know, so it's all well and good saying you want diplomatic resolution, but what are you really doing to to enhance that? Um, yeah, I think a lot of people here would like China to step up and um, and try and use their influence to, to, to broker a ceasefire or at least to to talk Russia down from from doing worse than it already is. Um, but but I think that the expectations are well and truly managed. Um, it's a diplom- Europe is very keen to pursue the diplomatic route first and foremost. They, they think that diplomacy works. They think that you know you may as well ask. You know, and I think you do want to end up in a situation where you regret not having made that ask of China. But I think that the longer it goes on, and the less we see from China in terms of concrete delivery on its uh, rhetoric about, you know, wanting peace, the more we see the echoes of Russian propaganda and Kremlin misinformation, disinformation in Chinese state media, not just state media, at official Chinese foreign ministry press conferences. I mean, that doesn't go unnoticed in Europe. What we're seeing here is being framed, and I think this is something that we will see more clearly as we go forward. Once we get beyond the first couple of phases of of this war, which are clearly, you know, the, the opening shock and awe, followed by the sanctioning, and once the dust settles a little bit, I think you're going to see a narrative emerge of democracies versus autocracies. That is something that's very clearly being shaped at the moment. Now, some in Europe, some governments are not wanting to go as hard as, as others, but clearly it's something that, that's that's going to happen. Um, you know, and if China is not seen to be acting in good faith uh, on its rhetoric, um, if China is not really seen to be using its influence positively, then I think inevitably there's going to be some blowback on that. I mean, I don't think that the EU wants to go and, you know, decouple from China. I think that it's unrealistic. I think that the trade stats that came out this week show that the two economies are deeply, deeply intertwined. So it's not realistic. But I mean, it does really affect relations and it does sort of give Biden, when he comes to town this week, a bit more sort of leverage to to try and rally the rather rally the alliance, which this time last year, you know, went further than we thought they would with the sanctioning. I mean, that seems now like quite quite um, milk toast sort of diplomacy if, in in comparison to to what's been happening with Russia. I mean, I obviously don't think that's going to happen with China, but look, everything's in play now. We don't really know. We don't really know where this is going. And of course, I'm reminded that Xi Jinping hosted his own. Chinese Democracy uh, Summit not too long ago in which he pushed forth the you know superior model of Chinese democracy compared to those ramshackle models that they have in the US and the UK. So again, as you say, this is really a test for what kind of international leadership diplomacy Beijing wants to offer. And speaking about that, 
you mentioned in their range of high-powered summits that are coming in the next two weeks, this EU-China summit, obviously scheduled a long time ago before these events were going to be happening. It's scheduled for April the 1st with President Xi Jinping, with China's President Xi Jinping in attendance. And by that, I mean he'll be one of the people on this epic Zoom call what have you heard about the agenda? What are you hearing from your EU sources about what they're hoping to achieve with this summit? I think that they're fairly um, sceptical about how much is going to come out of this. It's going to be totally dominated by Ukraine. Um, I don't know whether how, how happy China will be with that. I know that there has been some effort from the, from the Chinese to remove um, the Ukraine situation from the agenda of the G20 in Indonesia and stuff like that. But I think that they don't have an option to do that with the Europeans. Um, funny that you said actually that it's it's been in the diary for a long time. It has been in the diary for a long time, but it's been penciled in. And it was really only confirmed on Friday, which is quite, quite unusual. I mean, the, the relationship is in a precarious position in a number of ways, or maybe an unusual position. I mean, it's now three months since we've had a Chinese ambassador in Brussels. They still haven't named a replacement to Jiang Ming, who left before Christmas to head up the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Um, and that's something that's also been noted, whether it makes any difference or not, I don't know, but it's it's just an int interesting little tidbit. Um, the agenda, as I said, will be dominated by Ukraine. Lithuania will be on the agenda. A meeting, a planning meeting on Friday, ambassadors all showed strong solidarity and backing for Lithuania, which continues to be um, subject to a trade embargo, an effective trade embargo from Beijing over its um, growing ties with Taiwan. The detailed Chinese customs statistics came out on Sunday. I went through them on Monday morning and we saw an 88% fall in Lithuanian exports to China. In January and February, they combined the data for the first two months of the year compared to the year earlier. Um, so any sort of suggestion that December's collapse would be a temporary blip has been, you know, has been debunked. Um, so that's that's going to be on the agenda. I don't think there's an awful lot of um, positive stuff to talk about. I mean, I'm sure that they'll probably talk about climate change and maybe areas of cooperation, but... The European Union has become um, almost like a single issue um, block at the moment. You know, there's war on our doorstep. I think yesterday after yesterday evening, actually, we had Joseph Borrell, the, the European Union's top diplomat, saying that there are neighbourhoods on fire. Everything is seen through the lens of, of Ukraine. And I think that this is going to dominate, you know, and I think what happens at, at, during Biden's visit to Brussels this week will certainly inform the agenda and at least the European approach to the EU-China summit. Any chances that this was going to be a sort of collegial catch-up about economic cooperation, I think, has disappeared. This will be an opportunity for, for Europe to push China on where it stands. The European Union has, time and again since this crisis started, tried to encourage China to use its influence to sway Russia on things like United Nations votes, um, which they see actually as a success. You know, the fact that China didn't vote with Russia at the UN, they see that as a success. However, last week, we also had China voting with Russia at the International Court of Justice. You know, so that these, these are also being noted here. 
So, so look, I think just to summarize, it's going to be dominated by Ukraine. How that will go remains to be seen. It's going to be online. It's going to be the, the European Union leadership. So that's Ursula von der Leyen, Charles Michel, Joseph Borrell and their staff, along with probably Xi Jinping and Li Keqiang. It's usually the format. But uh, yeah, we, 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 we'll, we'll hopefully hear a bit more about that later in the week. And you're, of course, going to be working very hard covering all of this for SEP.com. We'll see your updates online and, of course, by your very busy Twitter account, at F Birmingham, B-E-R-M-I-N-G-H-A-M, in case people hadn't followed you before. Finbar Birmingham, thank you very much. We'll speak to you again next week. Thanks, Jared. Rob Delaney is the Bureau Chief for the South China Morning Post's North American Bureau. Rob, hello and welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Jared. It's great to be here. Now, Rob, in the wake of the phone call between Presidents Xi Jinping and Joe Biden on Friday night, we've seen China's ambassador to the US, Qin Gang, stepping up the diplomatic effort. And by that, I mean he's hit the Sunday morning TV talk show circuit in the US. And as far as I know, it's the first time he's done such a thing. What did he have to say and what was so important? He was digging in on China's position that the uh, that, that the Western response has been uh, overdone. Uh, he he went so far as to say that that calls for condemnation of Russia and Russia's invasion of Ukraine calls to condemn them on this are are, are naive. And he said uh, he doesn't think that condemnation uh, would really do anything to deter Putin. So therefore, it's a wasted effort to even bother. And of course, he's doing this while the US public, like the rest of the Western world, are watching graphic, horrifying images of hospitals being bombed, of this grinding war against civilians or siege war that the Russian army is undertaking. I keep hearing this term off-ramp. Was there any discussion of that? No, he he didn't offer anything in the way of off-ramp. He just kind of, he came out with platitudes about how in this situation, condemnation is not going to work. Uh, it's going to require, um, it's going to require wisdom. He, he said wisdom a couple of times and, and diplomacy and everything that he could think of to sort of use the, these ideas that, uh, that somehow um, some masterful diplomat would be able to uh, to convince Putin to withdraw from Ukraine. The other, of course, the other highlight of the talk was that he uh, he claimed that China is providing humanitarian aid, baby formula, sleeping bags, things like that. He claimed that China has not provided any weapons to Russia, but in the but what's crucial is that in the interview uh, he was asked very directly, "Well, does that mean that China will not provide any of this material to Russia?" And 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 the ambassador deflected that question, so it was very much in the present tense. We we are not providing weapons to Russia. We have not provided weapons to Russia, but but the interviewer couldn't push him to say we will not provide any weapons to Russia, and that is really what is. Uh, 
what what is key. And the other issue is that the the question was, in general, support for Russia. Are you going to withdraw support for Russia? And the answer was that China is still in in terms of energy trade and and other forms of economic activity between the two countries. He just referred to it. He said, look, China has a normal trade relationship with Russia right now. And it did seem to me that he was trying to signal that the that China was not going to, to pull back from its trade relationship with Russia. I, I think what he was trying to say was we are going to continue with our normal trading relationship with Russia. And so that should not be characterized as uh, active support for Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine. Rob, he also defended China's abstention from a vote at the International Court of Justice. Now, of course, we've seen China abstain from votes at the UN General Assembly, uh, at the Security Council, but this particular motion at the International Court of Justice was filed by Ukraine and declared that Moscow's stated justification for its invasion, that it was needed to prevent genocide, was a false pretense. Now, he also addressed that specifically. What did he have to say? He said he again returned to this idea that it would do nothing to to deter Russia. So therefore, it wasn't it didn't make sense for the for the Chinese government to do that. And then uh, actually, Foreign Minister Wang Yi elaborated on that at, at the same time. He said that by abstaining, China was actually creating a an opportunity for peace. So that's how they're characterizing this. I guess their position is that, well, the more that you needle uh, Putin on this, the the less chance that you'll see any uh, any kind of peaceful settlement on this issue. Uh, now, whether or not the international anyone in the international community is going to buy that seems doubtful at this point. Uh, but that's the argument that Beijing is putting out there and they're, they're, they're pushing that through multiple channels. Let me take you back to this phone call between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden. You've had a chance to digest the readouts and talk to your sources in the days since. What were the significant points these leaders raised with each other? And do you think it's progressed the discussion in any particular direction? I think the the overall sentiment is that given the current state of us china relations no one could really expect anything more than uh, the best case scenario for a talk like this is that it doesn't break down into the kind of recrimination and hostility that we saw when uh, when Jake Sullivan met with uh, with Young Jitcher and Wang Yi in in Anchorage, Alaska. I guess that was last year. I guess in Mar- almost a year ago. Uh, so that's you know the baseline is really if it's not openly hostile, then this is a good result. Now, in terms of the actual points that they were trying to drive at each other, it was really uh, it was was really President Biden apparently just laying out for China, explaining to China what he saw in terms of what the consequences would be if it if it emerged that China was supporting Russia's military in its uh, in, in, in its war in Ukraine. And, uh, and and the, the, there was a press briefing afterwards. They did a background briefing. And, uh, of course, the, all the journalists were asking, well, what w- specifically, what are these consequences? 
And uh, the the answer that kept coming back was that these are well, the, the, those specifics, those details are really between uh, President Biden and, and President Xi. Uh, so and, and the other point that they were making was that this really this was not a negotiation at all. This was just Biden telling uh, the the Chinese leader what what he could expect if China moved to support Russia's military, and of course for the Chinese side it was all about Taiwan. It was all about restating the uh, Ch- China's position on Taiwan, which we all understand, we all know it, and uh, and and according to the briefing that we got. Uh, Biden's response on that is, uh, on on the one hand, the the, uh, the 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 fact that the his administration does not want to see any change to the status quo across the strait, uh, the that the administration will continue to respect the one China policy, but what was really emphasized was the the person briefing us was pointing out that Joe Biden uh, supported the Taiwan Relations Act. So uh, everything, it's one China policy, yes, status quo, yes, uh, always followed by the Taiwan Relations Act. It's almost like everything, the, the, the position that the Biden administration is taking on this issue is uh, yes, yes, one China, yes, one China, okay, but very much Taiwan Relations Act. And also, by the way, we are very concerned about China's more um, forceful, I guess, aggressive posture when it comes to uh, when it comes to Taiwan. Uh, and so sort of emphasizing the administration's concern about this. So if you take it as a whole, I, I don't think it's a message that would have made uh, China feel any more relaxed uh, about what the what the about what they're hearing from Washington. So. Uh, so, yeah. So I guess given that this this is where the two sides were, what's interesting is that both sides said that they are open to continue. They would like to continue talking. We'll be looking out for whether or not there's going to be another meeting. How long will it take for another meeting? No way of knowing. So the strategic ambiguity continues from the U.S. Uh, regarding uh, Taiwan. Speaking about Joe Biden, what's up next on his agenda? What What's on your radar for the week to come? Well, Biden is uh, expected to travel to uh, Europe for uh, a NATO meeting um, in Brussels uh, later this week. And then uh, what just emerged today was that he is planning to, uh, after his meeting in Brussels with NATO, he's planning to go to Poland to meet with uh, Polish President uh, Andrzej Duda. And so that's, you know, when, when you consider how close uh, Poland is to the area of conflict, that's uh, obviously, that will be quite a, a, a show or an indication of of the the lengths that uh, Biden is willing to go to uh, in order to uh, make the point uh, of, of Washington's support for NATO and, and for Ukraine. Rob, that begs the question, and I know Americans love a bit of show business, but we saw the leaders of a handful of European countries appear in Kiev not too long ago. Is there any suggestion that Joe Biden is going to make the special guest appearance? Stand next to Zelensky and shoot some selfies. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, the question came up in today's White House briefing and uh, there was, uh, and and the answer so far is no. And, And I think that underscores the fact that the Biden administration has been uh, very clear that it does not 
wish to get into a war with Russia. And so, uh, yes, there's all of the aid. There's uh, there's there's equipment that they're sending, but um, I I don't see that position changing. I, I don't think we're going to see Biden show up in Kiev uh, the way that the uh, the leaders of of several other countries in the region showed up. And of course, I'm thinking recent political history. The last time a U.S. president was in Poland, that was uh, Donald Trump, and the suggestion at that point was if U.S. soldiers were stationed in Poland, they'd name a base Fort Trump. I can see that there's a big opportunity for Joe Biden to really strike another contrast in leadership here. Uh, I, I suppose. I mean, I, I guess the fact that he's showing up uh, in person for the NATO meeting says a lot. The fact that he's going on to Poland says a lot also. Uh, but I think we see the limits of, of where he's willing to go in the fact that it, does, it, it doesn't appear that he will go on uh, to go to uh, Ukraine. The, the sense here in the U.S., I, I think, quite generally, is that there's a real revulsion about what's happening in Ukraine. There's, uh, there's a lot of sympathy. There's a lot of shows of support everywhere for Ukraine, but uh, you really get the sense that as far as that sentiment goes, uh, Americans do not want to see a World War III. Uh, and, and I think the Biden administration understands that. Yeah. Rob, it's just really good to hear you say that uh, from the US for those of us around the rest of the world listening in. Rob Delady, always interesting and educational to speak with you. Thank you so much. We'll look for your coverage on scmp.com. Thanks very much, Jared. Good talking to you. That's all for this week's episode. In roughly 48 hours, I'll have another episode for you that's going to pick up on some of China's other geopolitical relationships that have had some major shakeups in the past fortnight. I'm talking about a new government in South Korea. I'm talking about Japanese political figures discussing nuclear weapons on Japanese soil. And I might just be talking about China's foreign minister dropping by to say hello to India's prime minister, Mahendra Modi. Don't forget to follow all the latest updates at scmp.com. Follow our team on Twitter at SEMP Economy. My name is Jared Bott. Speak to you soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.